Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a weekly program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. This program is brought to you by Hope Fellowship, your community church located on the second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. I'm Pastor Mike Zenker, and for the next half hour, I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will help you expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. So many are tired of trying harder to live the Christian life. I've got great news for you. You can stop trying. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Hello and welcome to Still Growing in Grace. Last week we talked about a very important subject. We were looking at what we have been called to live like. And the idea is to live like we have an abundant life. And many people think we don't have one because they're not personally experiencing a real abundant life. Last week I began to challenge us all that we do have abundant life living in us by the person of Jesus Christ. He's called us to live abundantly. So last week we talked a bit about abundant life. We talked about the difference between what revelation is versus just information because we need to know what the difference is if we're going to understand how to grow and take uh, information we do get that it's not just information we're after but it's revelation we want. We want a deeper understanding uh, based on the information we do get. Then we took a look at what our soul spirit is and that what is true of us in our spirit is our true literal identity. We also began talking about the trees in the Garden of Eden, the two trees. The one tree was called the tree of life. The second tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Last week, we also focused on the tree of life representing Jesus as a picture, a picture of life. Just like the New Testament, whenever it refers to life, it usually refers to the person of who Jesus is. This week, we're going to dig into what that other tree is, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Most people don't realize that that tree is so important in our understanding of what it means to grow up into Christ, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and how we view him and how we serve him, that tree is a huge contrast for us. If we don't know that, um, well, let's just say you you may have one quiver in your bow and arrow uh, arsenal that is not usable because you don't know it's there. And if we can know that that tree represents a way out, a way into freedom that we weren't told about, I think we need to know about it. You're going to find out. So this second tree, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the system. That's a key word. It represents the system of performance and rules, legalism, instead of the tree of life, which is a tree of rest, abiding in Christ, which we're going to cover later. We won't have time today. So in Genesis 2, uh, verses 16 to 17, here's what it says about the tr- that second tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Another translation from the message says, don't eat eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. <laughs> that's that's scary. Like it's almost like a threat, but is it a threat? Is it God hovering over Adam and Eve and saying, "If you do, you're in trouble?" Or 
is that a wisdom. He's telling them, look, the stovetop is hot. Don't touch the stovetop. Because if you touch the stove uh, when it's on, you're going to get burned. And if they touch it, that's not God punishing them or pouring wrath on them. That's their result of their choice. So this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, why am I emphasizing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because some people have been led to believe that that tree is good and evil and that it represents the introduction of what is good and what is evil. That's not at all what it is. It, this is an awakening tree, the performance tree. It's the tree that, uh, let me give you a couple illustrations or uh, phrases that I've heard over the years from different teachers and leaders and uh, mentors of mine that, I, that have discussed what this tree is. The tree of morals, someone has used it as. They call it the tree of morals. Morals is right and wrong. Or the tree of independence. I want to do it my way. It's like the Frank Sinatra classic. I did it my way. And and so that, it's the tree of independence. Um, someone else used the term, it is the tree of the law of sin and death. That's a powerful one. And I believe a gentleman named Frank Friedman, he's the one who said, it is the womb of the Mosaic law. The womb of the Mosaic law. This, this one tree was the, the spark that led to all the trouble that came from the Mosaic law. And that's just one little picture because that tree, if we don't know what the difference is, um, we're going to be confused. So, so what happened? What happened when Adam and Eve ate from that tree? You might be surprised. Some of the things you won't be surprised about. But here's the first thing that happened. Mankind immediately received a distorted view of God right away. Something happened in them. Something changed in their mind. Genesis 2, 26 and 31 say this, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God saw that what he had made and behold, it was very good. Why am I bringing up this verse right now after we just finished talking about Adam and Eve eating from that tree? Because God had created them good. He made them perfect. There was a perfection that uh, they were walking in and didn't really know about it. So there's a big lie that came. A serpent came into the garden and began to have a conversation. I don't know about you, but wouldn't your ears perk up a little bit if a talking snake suddenly showed up in front of you in a tree? And by the way, we do not know what kind of fruit that tree bore. Uh, everybody says it was an apple. There is zero evidence that it was an apple. We don't know. There is no proof what kind of fruit it was. It was fruit, okay? And here's what that snake said to Adam and Eve. In the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. I wonder if the tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now the slithering snake comes in and says, you're going to know good from evil. Well, did you realize that Adam and Eve did not know good from evil? That they did not need to know good from evil? There's a funny thing about what the snake said. He suggested, the snake suggested, here's something you can do to make yourself more Christ-like. 
Do you realize we've done that in the church today? In a system of religion, the system of performance and rules, trying to make yourself more right with God, we've told people, here are some things you can do to become more Christ-like. Here's what is misleading in this fact. Here's what the snake lied about. First of all, for you and I, we are. You are already Christ-like. That was the lie. They were already godlike. There was nothing needed to be improved. Watchman Nee, he had a quote that should wake up your mind for just a moment. He says, Oh, the folly of trying to enter a room you're already in. Well, that is funny, because how do I come into this room when I'm already in here? Um, I heard Brad Jerzak uh, express the words of uh, the serpent, and as it's spoken to Eve, uh, he said something like this, not word for word, but in the book of Genesis, the serpent's venom entered Eve's ears. The lie, the poison entered her ears. And here it is, whispering a lie that she was less than perfection. That was the lie. You see, I think Adam, Adam and Eve's motive was actually good. They were actually trying to be more like God, which I think is a fantastic motivation. They had been led to believe there was a deficiency. They listened to the snake. But I grew up believing that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They shook their fist in God's face, and oh, they were angry. And that's why they ate from the tree. Well, there is nothing in the biblical record that expresses that. Not a single thing. That is somebody's projection. And while it's an opinion. That's nice. But I think there's something more pure going on here than we have been told. And I'm entering another option for how to view this profound story. I believe they wanted to be more like God. I believe they wanted to be, uh, they wanted something they didn't have yet. They, they didn't know they had it all. So what were the consequences? You see, they were told they're going to die. But did they drop down dead instantly as in smack they're gone? No. As soon as their lips touched, their physical bodies didn't die. So what died? I've heard many opinions on this. And let me just say, I think something bigger happened in their minds more than any other place. There are other options that I've heard. It's fine. But I think in their mind, something big happened. So here's what happened. The consequences from their choice to eat from the system of performance and rules tree, here's what happened. So let, let's begin with a comparison first. Uh, we're running out of time quickly. This is sad. So before they were eating of this tree, they were enjoying the bounty of the garden, enjoying the lush green trees, the beautiful grass, the animals. They were probably riding a giraffe for fun. I don't know. But I, my imagination can run pretty quick. They could probably pull off a Tarzan swinging through the jungles. Who knows? But they were enjoying. They were, um, they were us. They were one with God, enjoying the stroll with God as he came every day to enjoy their walk and, and connecting with them. Uh, they, were, they were an us, if you will. They were us, not us versus them. They felt one. They also strolled in union 
and intimacy with God. This is a very big thing. Before they ate, they did not live by values. There were no rules to live by, except the one rule. God commanded them, don't eat from that one tree. Funny how uh, one little thing can draw our attention. It's like telling our kids, don't eat that cookie sitting on the counter. It's still hot, but don't eat that cookie. They weren't even aware there was a cookie. Now you just planted an idea there's a cookie over there. And what's in their head? Cookie, cookie, cookie. Very funny. But they in the garden, they did not live by any values, rules of what is right and wrong. Rather, listen to this, they lived by the life of God. They simply enjoyed the life of God. They did not even live moral lives. It it was better. They lived miraculous lives. There's something we can learn from this. They didn't even live wondering if tomorrow's needs will be met. Oh no, Adam, did you get milk from the grocery store? Do we have enough money for that? They didn't even have a worry in their minds. I remember going on trips with my parents as a kid, and uh, we never once asked, is there enough gas in the car, Daddy? Do we have enough food for the week? Did we? Did you buy eggs? We didn't worry about any of those details. Adam and Eve lived with a childlike, dependent trust in their Heavenly Father. When we come back for the second half, we're going to dig in a little bit more into finding out what happened as a result of after eating this fruit. Folks, we're not called to live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've been called to live from the tree of life, and that person is Jesus. We are to live and eat from him in, and walk in regular intimacy and abiding. So let's, let's come back in just a moment, and we'll finish up on this topic. Looking for a real estate agent that will put your needs before his? Terry Van Lent is just that agent. Caring and honest are just two of Terry's best qualities, and they shine through in his real estate career. As a longtime resident of Waterloo Region, Terry is well acquainted with the area and its multitude of attractive amenities. For an agent that cares, call Terry Van Lent at Coldwell Banker Peter Benninger Realty, 519-742-5800, extension 2060. Family run, family owned. So their focus is on you. Conestoga Lodge Retirement Residence is a full-service retirement home in Kitchener, and you'll be impressed to know that they are not a big corporate chain. They're quality-driven with a focus on each and every individual. Conestoga Lodge offers permanent and short-term stays. To book a free, no-obligation tour, you can call 519-576-2140 or visit online at conestogalodge.com. So back to what happened to Adam and Eve after they ate from the food, uh, a fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Before they were talking about, we were talking about they were eating um, uh, and enjoying life just without any worries. But now that they've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, evil, something happened. Something died in their minds. And I believe they immediately became blind to the fact that they were already accepted, loved, and valued by God. Something happened to them in that moment. There was, it's almost like this, this uh, uh, breeze comes through and uh, they didn't even realize what's that chill. Oh my goodness. What just changed? They then, as a result of whatever happened in their minds, they then tried to make themselves more acceptable by covering up. But 
Do you remember? They, they covered up when God came. But do you think when God came that they uh, things changed in their mind or in God's mind? I believe if we take a look at what happened from God's perspective, this might enlighten us to see what really happened in the Garden of Eden and confirm their motive. After they ate from the tree, God's perspective was this. Did God know what had happened? Do you think God knew they actually ate from that tree? Was he aware of it or not? I believe he was fully aware of it. No secret here. He he fully knew. Um, But my question is, then why wouldn't he be repelled by their disobedience? If the God I was told about growing up, that he's angry and distant from us when we sin, then would it not make sense then that God would refuse to come to the garden that day? That he would refuse to come and walk with those he created and have just sinned against him? He he didn't do that. He actually came to them. He never hid from them. They hid from God. It was their perspective that changed. When I realized that years ago, it blew my mind. You see, blindness changes our perspective. The idea of what we've been thinking about drives us to live from that idea. And if the idea changes, suddenly our behavior changes. And with Adam and Eve, they were walking in in intimacy with him. They were enjoying the hopscotch and the, the dancing through the lilies, all that fun stuff, whatever it was. But suddenly now they hid and they said, God, we're naked. Because God came walking in and said, oh, Adam, where are you? And they call out like little children, we're hiding over here. And God says, what are you doing hiding over there? And they said, we're naked. And God says, who told you you're naked? Oh, my goodness. Listen, this affects our perspective in our society. We've been trying for so long to teach people to to live off the good branch on that tree and not eat from the bad branch the good and evil. We keep telling people, you've got to switch, switch branches. You got to switch from that evil. Stop doing evil and switch to the good. You got to do good, good, good. That's just called morality. We've not been called to do that. And yet that's what we have pounded the pavement with in our churches, in our society. I've done it. But now that I'm seeing a more hope-filled lens, I'm getting excited that there is good news for everyone. The answer for our society is not values and morals and, and more rules to follow in order to be right or acceptable to God. But rather, I think the answer for our society is to share the very life and good news of Jesus Christ. I think that is the answer. It's got to be good news. If it's not good news, be quiet. We have no more room for bad news. We have no more room for all this talk of, of switching from being evil and being coming good. Jesus never called us to that. He never even told Adam and Eve about that. He said, don't eat from that tree at all. Eat from me, the life tree. Let me sustain you. Because I believe once we share life, the life of Christ, and the good news of the gospel, his life will impact society. Let his kindness lead people to repentance. Not rules, not fear-mongering, but love. 
Did you hear that? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Not Bible thumping, not controlling, not shaming people, not pointing out errors, not screaming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Get out of that tree. Move over to the tree of life and you'll stop judging and you'll begin loving like you have never loved people before. So here, here's a question then. A natural question will come up. Doesn't God want us or need us to serve him and do things for him? Where does that all fit in? <laughs> do you ever wonder that? Does God need us? Oh my, what if I gave you a beautiful verse that will answer that bluntly? Acts 17, 25 from the Passion Translation says this, He supplies and life and breath and all things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. For he has all things and everything he needs. <clears throat> God doesn't need us. Not at all. And if you are involved in any kind of Christian service, this could be really hard. Now, remember, I'm, I'm a pastor by my role. That's not who I am. It's what I do residentially on this earth in my job. I'm a pastor. I, I teach. I preach. I marry, bury. I counsel. I, all that stuff. That's not who I am. But I'll tell you, sometimes, and in the past, I've fallen to the lie or the trap that implied, oh, God really can use me. Look at the gift set that I've got. And I've, you know, I've seen it in other people. Ooh, here's what I bring to the table. You need me, oh God, because look, isn't this wonderful? Aren't I wonderful? <laughs> he needs nothing. He doesn't need you at all. In fact, he doesn't even want your help. Oh, did I just say that? We will cover that later, but God does not need your help. He, he has something much greater in store. Listen to this carefully. He just wants you as his bride. That's it. He wants you as his bride. He doesn't want us busy doing stuff for him. As if the act of doing becomes the thing to be championed. That's what we get our trophy for in heaven or our crown or add jewels for that extra good deed. And all that performance-based acceptance that we have somehow let into our stinking thinking. He doesn't need you. He wants you. He loves you. He accepts you. He values you. He, he wants you to know how deeply loved you are and there is nothing you bring to the table to make yourself better or more likable, more lovable. Because he already fully 100% loves you and accepts you. There's nothing you can do. That's going to be hard for a lot of people. I promise you see, we, we think that because we now believe in God, there's automatically these, these rules that we now have to follow as a duty. I'm going to tell you something real quick because we're gonna, our time's winding down pretty quick. Um, God doesn't need you to do stuff for him on the front end. 
The beauty is, and I don't have the verse in front of me, but he already gives us desires once we believe we're loved and we live from that love. That desire comes in and the idea is sparked by God through the Holy Spirit living in us. Then the idea comes out in an action and it can be tiring, but then again, that's okay. Let it be tiring, whatever that work is, because the Holy Spirit will be the power for the idea. Oh, and then it gets better. Then the outcome, what's it going to look like? It is all God at work in us, giving us the desire, the energy to do it, and He is the outcome of all the stuff we are going to do. There is much to do in the kingdom of God. But if we don't know our identity in Christ, and if we are trying to find one or two things to add to the package we bring God to be acceptable, more loved, we've just created another wall. That wall has to be torn down so we can come fully free, fully surrendered, fully yielded to God and say, here am I, I can't believe you love me. This is amazing. Let my mind believe it. You are loved fully and accepted right now. There's nothing you need to do to change that. I tell you, this is a big lesson. If you've grown up in the church, this is going to be a big one to try and digest. And I hope you'll take time to read through the scriptures. I hope you'll come back and and listen again to what we continue to teach. Because next week is going to be super exciting. You're going to love this. Because I tell you, one of the people that is my model for how to live this Christian life, it's Jesus. He modeled something, and it may not be what you think. Remember those bumper stickers, what would Jesus do, and how that led to uh, somebody giving great lists for people to do more and more things and all that stuff. It's just a massive to-do list. I'm going to challenge that next week. I'm going to let you see how Jesus lived his life, how he modeled, and what abiding looks like. We're going to do that shift. We've just learned about Adam and Eve living in the garden. Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to do a gentle shift and see what the parallels are of how Jesus lived and what we can learn from how Jesus lived and lived the abundant life. God loves you. So do I. We look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye. Are you looking for an encouraging church where you'll discover hope in God who truly loves and accepts you? Hope Fellowship in North Waterloo meets every Sunday at 1030 and the great coffee is only the first thing you'll appreciate. If you're looking for a safe place, a relaxed community of people who want to grow in the freedom of God's grace, welcome to Hope Fellowship, second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. Learn more at hopefellowshipycc.com and they do have that great coffee. Martin Small Engines and Auto Clinic in Elmira is more than small engines. Like their name says, Martin's is also a full-service auto clinic focused on automotive repair and service, brakes, tires, local lockout service, and so much more. Whatever you need, Martin's can do it. For that small-town feel with large shop quality, trust a team that really cares. Martin's Small Engines and Auto Clinic, Industrial Drive Elmira and martinselmira.com. You've been listening to Still Growing in Grace. I'm Pastor Mike Zenker, and I'd like to invite you to join me next Tuesday morning at 1130 when our teaching time will continue. Or join us at 1030 every Sunday morning at Hope Fellowship, your community church located on the second floor of the St. Jacob's Outlet Mall. 
If this show has been an encouragement to you, won't you help us spread this good news? Make your donation today by visiting stillgrowingingrace.ca. You can also catch up on past programs, watch YouTube videos of our talks, and download our weekly podcasts. Sign up for our email list and send in your questions. After all, no one has arrived, and we are all still growing in grace.